Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast with me, Harry Simiu. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all having a good Tuesday so far. It's wet, it's windy, it's miserable. Um, it's just an awful day in North London. Um, there isn't any Arsenal game to build up to this weekend. We are in the latter stages of the transfer window, but it doesn't look like too much significant business is going to take place. Um, so I've decided that although we are going to talk uh, a little bit about some transfer stuff, because that's what's hot, that's what's in the news at the moment with regards to Arsenal, we're going to focus on a couple of other bits and pieces that maybe we don't always get the time to do. So we're going to start off by talking Declan Rice. There is a fitness update on the England midfielder who, of course, was substituted off against Crystal Palace at the weekend with what seemed to be a hamstring problem. We'll get into the latest on him. We're also going to talk Jakub Kivior, who has been constantly linked with a move away from Arsenal. Is there anything in that? We'll get into that in a little bit more detail. And we're going to talk about the Emirates Stadium atmosphere, which is, I would say, significantly, I don't know if worse is the right term, but it's certainly not as good as it was last season. So what's changed? Why has that happened? What responsibility do we have as match-going fans to try and put that right? What responsibilities do the club have in terms of making sure um, that they're doing their bit? Because it really, really does help the team. And it was a big part of why we were so good last season, so strong last season. Mikel Arteta is always talking about it. He's always planting that seed about the atmosphere, about the energy that we as supporters can transmit onto the pitch and how the players can take that on and use it to positive effect. So I want to get into that as well. And because there isn't that much news going on at the moment, um, you know, it's a pretty underwhelming transfer window, not just from an Arsenal perspective, but right across the board. There isn't even other real stories that we can go off, off and talk about. Um, so I, I want to spend a fair chunk of this episode answering your questions from the live chat as well. And there are some really, really good ones coming in. If you think of anything good, please do drop it in. At any point in the show, I've got one eye on the live chat and I'll be able to favourite the ones that I really like, the ones that really jump out to me. And we'll be able to address those a little bit later on on the podcast. Don't forget, though, if you're uh, just joining us, please do leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you're brand new, it really, really does help. Or if you're just not subscribed, there's a lot of people that watch our videos and listen to our podcast that aren't subscribed. What are you playing at? <laughs> so please do um, make sure that you've done that. Also, your comments, uh, all of that is, is much appreciated and it really, really does help. The more engagement, the better. And the more you guys contribute in the chat, the more um, stuff we have to talk about because... Sometimes, you know, you can sit there and you can analyse Arsenal every hour of every day, but somebody with a different perspective, somebody who looks at something differently, will come up with a different angle. And that's what makes it really, really interesting. And that's what the live chat element brings to the show. So I really, really want to tap into that on this episode. OK, um, I think we'll start with the Declan Rice stuff. Declan Rice, of course, as I mentioned, substituted off against Crystal Palace and appeared to mouth to his teammate that it was a problem with his hammy. Mikel Arteta spoke to us in the press conference after the game, and he said that he felt some tightness, said he wasn't sure which muscle it was, but given the game state at the time, Arsenal were, of course, three goals to the good, it wasn't worth taking any risk. 
Now, the big question is, will Declan Rice be available for Arsenal's trip to Nottingham Forest a week today? According to Sammy Mockbell, the Declan Rice injury is not as bad as first feared. Uh, They've had a scan and nothing has shown up to cause significant concern. Now, obviously, tightness is something that you need to watch because it has the potential to develop into an injury that could see you out for a number of weeks. Now, your natural inclination would be when you hear the term hamstring injury, uh uh-oh, this is a few weeks on the sidelines. But it seems like there's no significant damage uh, that anybody within the club has been able to identify uh, via the scan that we think took place yesterday. So, uh, as a result of that, Declan Rice has to be in contention for the trip to Nottingham Forest. Now, that doesn't mean that he'll 100% play. It doesn't mean um, that he hasn't got a problem that's going to keep him out of one or two games. But it does go some way in putting us at ease with regards to the possibility of him maybe being out for four, five, six weeks, which was something that was being talked about yesterday um, by some people. So I'm pleased uh, that it doesn't seem to be as bad as first feared. But obviously what we do now in the next week with Declan Rice is going to be really, really important. We've got to really take care of him. You know, the, the physios will be hard at work trying to get him ready for the game against Nottingham Forest. And as we mentioned and, and sort of briefly touched upon yesterday, without Thomas Partey ready yet, you know, you you need Declan Rice. We haven't been without Declan Rice for a significant period at any point since we signed him. That's been a big part of why we're in the mix for the Premier League title, why we're in the knockout stages of the Champions League with a big game against FC Porto coming up next month. He is so, so key, so, so vital. And as I say, even more so in the absence of Thomas Partey. So fingers crossed Declan's going to be all right for next week. Um, but of course, we we face a bit of a waiting game there. The guys have got a week to get him, you know, into tip-top point uh, to the point where he's well enough, fit enough, strong enough to play in that game. And look, there might be a point where we do need to give Declan Rice a bit of a breather, a bit of a break. The hope is that you can just keep him fit until Thomas Partey returns. And then when you make that change, you're not as badly impacted. There will be games where you can bring Thomas Partey in as the six and you can give Declan Rice the breather that he obviously will need at some point because he's been a mainstay in the team throughout the season. So positive news with regards to Declan Rice, although it doesn't guarantee that he's going to play against Nottingham Forest. What it does do, as I say, is go some way in easing our fears that he was going to be on the sidelines for five or six weeks. We're going to talk um, Jakob Kivior as well in just a moment. Going to take a really short pause first, though. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Okay. Um, Jakob Kivior, a player that Arsenal bought in last season from Spezia, a player that hasn't had too many opportunities, I would I would argue, in his preferred position. He is a centre-back. He's a left-sided centre-back. At times, we've used him at left-back this season. And for me, it hasn't really worked. I think he's struggled to adapt to that position. But I've always been really wary of, of casting too much judgment on him because I just think that you're asking someone who is very naturally a centre-back to play elsewhere, you can't make your only judgment on whether they were a worthwhile signing, whether they have a future at the football club based on them playing out of position. So 
I, I really do want to see Jakub Kivior get a go in the centre-half position. But also, I want Gabriel and Saliba to be our starting partnership every week because I think they formed a really, really good combination. I think they, they're they both top, top centre-backs. I think they're, they're both in the top five centre-backs in the Premier League currently. Two of them play for Arsenal, which is obviously great. Um, that's that's my view. That's my opinion. And you also, you know, you, you want that on the one hand, but you also know that that does limit the opportunities that Jakob Kivior will get. I was so pleased to see him come on at the weekend and play in his actual position. I think that was massive. I think it was really important um, because sometimes when you play out of position and you struggle and he'll know better than you or I that he struggled, it can mess with your head a little bit. It can damage your confidence a little bit. And I think when you're a player that is on the peripheries of a team, you need those moments where your confidence, you know, gets the boost that it needs. And, and you need those moments where you almost convince yourself or or sort of reassure yourself of your ability and, you know, that you're deserving of a place within the group and, and deserving of a place within the setup. There's been lots and lots of talk about interest from Italy. We've heard Napoli linked, Milan linked. There was even talk of Inter, Juve I've heard as well. Um, was any of that serious? I'm not sure. Um, maybe they like Jakub Kivio, but I don't think any of those clubs would be not just willing, but able at this moment in time to front up the kind of money that Arsenal would require to let him go. Arsenal invested around about, off the top of my head, I think about £20 million on Jakub Kivio. But his agent has come out and rubbish the talk of him leaving um, in this window and made it clear that there's no plan for him to go in the summer either. He was a part of the squad building process that we've been undergoing for a period of time now. I think he is a good centre-half. I think he will get opportunities. I think that, unfortunately for Arsenal, we've had a lot of injury problems this season that has meant when we've tried to rotate, We've significantly weakened ourselves. And when you do that, when that happens, when you go, when you sort of go massive on rotation because you are, you know, really sort of down to your bare bones and you can't kind of half rotate, you can't pick certain combinations. What ends up happening is that the players that come in are playing in a really disjointed, weakened side. And then you start casting judgment on their performance. And then you start to draw conclusions with regards to their performances that maybe aren't always fair. So, for example, if you bring Jakub Kivior into the side and you play him in a run of games at left centre-back alongside William Saliba, I think he'll look fine. I think he'll look fine because all the stars would have been aligned. He'd be playing in his preferred position of left centre-back with a top centre-back to his right. And everything would be set up for him to succeed. Maybe Declan Rice sitting in front of him, maybe a Timber or Tommy Asu at left back that provide that extra bit of stability that mean that he won't have to go out and cover Zinchenko, for example, the way that Gabriel does every week. So when, when the circumstances are right, that's when you should judge a player's ceiling because that's when you can see really and truly whether they're good enough to do the job. Once other factors start coming into play, once things start changing. So, for example, as I say, you know, you put Kivior in at left centre-back with a makeshift left-back. 
or a left back that is weak defensively, you're asking him to do two jobs a lot of the time. That's the problem that Gabriel has. That's why I've been so full of praise for Gabriel over the last year or so, because I think it goes under the radar how much cleaning up he has to do, particularly when Zinchenko plays at left back because of his aggressive positioning, because of the fact that he moves in field and he gets involved in the build-up play. So I'm really, really happy with Jakub Kivior. Um, There are question marks, as I say, about his ability to play at left-back, but as centre-back, I don't think he's ever really let us down. Okay, the sample size is small and all the rest of it, but that's where I'm judging him because that's what he was brought in to do. His agent has come out and rubbish suggestions that he'll be leaving in this window, that he'll be leaving even in the summer, which I think is a good thing. And I hope now that that puts an end to the speculation. I'm a massive Italian football fan. I love Italian football. I follow it really, really closely. Um, I'm all across it. I'm all over it. But some of the reports that you get from Italian media outlets, you know, they are a nonsense. They are um, sort of two plus two equals seven. They, You know, you get a lot of that. And, you know, equally, not all of it is necessarily wrong, but it just you know, you have to then ask yourself the question of A, does this make sense? And B, well, how would this happen then? Because to link a club like Juventus, who we know don't have any money and don't have a big spending ability at the moment, to link them with a player that Arsenal have just dropped 20 million on and probably want north of that to let him go, is the reality of that one that you should consider? I don't think it will happen. I don't think it can happen. I think Juve might be interested. I think Napoli might be interested. But do they have the resources and the wriggle room to be able to make that happen? Wiggle room, I should say. Wiggle room. Uh, Wiggle room to make that happen in terms of their financials. So Jakub Kivior is staying put by the looks of it. We're going to take another really, really brief pause. When we come back, we're going to talk about the atmosphere at Emirates Stadium. What's happened to it this season? We'll talk about the fans' responsibilities, the club's responsibilities as well. And then we're going to take a load of your questions from the live chat. So keep them coming. Remember, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Welcome back to the pod. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all having a good Tuesday. Oh, dear. I keep looking to my right out the window and just... It's just dark. It's miserable. It's wet. It's windy. I look at how many things in my garden have blown out of place and onto the lawn and all the rest of it. And I'm just like, oh, I really should go out and sort it out. But it's probably all going to blow away again tomorrow. So is it really worth it? My missus would say it is. I would say nah, maybe not. Uh, anyway, we want to talk a little bit about the Emirates atmosphere. I think it's fair to say that the atmosphere at Emirates Stadium this season hasn't reached the heights that it did last season. It's just not been at the same level. But I think there are a number of reasons for that. So first of all, I think the fact that last season's title push and charge came completely out of nowhere for a lot of people created this enthusiasm and this buzz and this excitement that I don't think you can manufacture. Like you you can't manufacture that feeling by putting a few extra drums in the stadium or having a few extra banners or doing TIFO displays. That kind of enthusiasm and energy that was, you know, all around the place last season only comes with a feeling inside you that is generated by, you know, what we saw unfold. And in the end, it didn't go our way, but, you know, that played a massive part. 
The fact that everybody at the time felt that Arsenal were punching above their weight created a different attitude towards the players and towards the team where maybe things weren't going our way. I remember so many times last season, Arsenal would concede a goal at Emirates and everybody would get up off their seat and start supporting and cheering the team on rather than the moans and groans that you get when there's an expectation to go out and win every single game. I think this season, the expectation is really different. I think a lot of people look at where we ended up and think that we should be back up there and we should be going beyond. We should be winning the thing. And when you have a higher level of expectation, it's more likely that you're going to be disappointed because the higher your level of expectation is, the the less you're willing to accept in terms of outcomes. And then naturally you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry. And I think that comes across in a football stadium. I've seen people talking about the Ashburton army who, when they first came about, I have to say, I looked at it and I went, well, does that really move the needle in terms of the general atmosphere in the Emirates Stadium? I'm a season ticket holder that was always in the North Bank end. Block six is where my season ticket is. But over the last couple of seasons where I've been covering Arsenal as a reporter, I've been sitting in the press box, which is obviously on the halfway line. And having moved kind of halfway around the stadium, I've got a different perspective now of what the atmosphere is like across the board. And it became really clear and apparent to me last season that the Ashburton Army were making a massive difference at that end of the stadium. Because I'd go to games before and I'd go and sit in the, or stand in the North Bank and I'd come away from the game thinking, yeah, the atmosphere was pretty good today. And then somebody else that was at the other end of the ground would say to me, oh, it was dead today. It was really awful. Like it was really flat. And I'd have people that watch the game on TV say to me it was really flat. Well, it wasn't where I was. So does that mean that that wasn't transmitting to the rest of the stadium? I think it's really important to make sure that you can generate that atmosphere right around the ground. And I think the Ashburton Army were a massive, massive part of that. They still are today, but obviously there are less of them now um, because from what I hear, and I don't know this for a fact, from what I hear, their allocation or the agreement, the arrangement that they had with the football club is, is different now. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, I look at it and I go, well, you know, that's the club maybe not doing their bit to try and create the best possible atmosphere. But then I think also we've had so many debates about ticketing and ballots and all the rest of it that I guess they're probably just trying to be more fair in the distribution of tickets. And the problem with an issue like this is that you're never going to please everybody, right? So if you tell, you know, all the silver members uh, that they're going to go in a ballot, for example, for a ticket, they will, a lot of them will turn around and say, well, that's not fair. If you do it the old way, which was everybody logs on at 10 a.m. and the first come, first served, um, manage to get their tickets and everybody else misses out, then there's a group of people that will say, well, I'm at work at that time. I can't jump on. I can't sit on an online box office queue for 45 minutes. So that's unfair on us. Whatever you do, you're going to upset somebody. But I do think that, you know, the, the ticketing issue is one that probably needs to be reviewed. Um, I think, again, you know, it's the same thing with the away tickets, right? So I've had people say to me before uh, about away tickets, you know, oh, I can never get a hold of them. And then they'd end up buying them through third parties and paying over the odds. 
And obviously the club have taken steps to try and prevent that from happening by saying, look, if you go to an away game now, there's a chance that you're going to get selected at random to go and pick up your tickets with ID, which is to prevent touting, basically, which is to prevent people buying them from the football club, receiving them in the post and then distributing them and selling them for over the top. And again, you can't really win because on the one hand, there'll be people that say, well, I know so-and-so who was getting me tickets and, you know, that was working great for me. And there are others who say, well, I can never get hold of away tickets and they don't like that approach. The others don't like the other approach. You can't, as I keep saying, because the demand for Arsenal tickets right now is so high, I don't really know what the solution is that is going to keep everyone happy. So I think you need to go with what the majority... um, you know, uh, find best or, or what you think works for the majority. But again, you'll never stop those complaining voices. It's just how it goes. And listen, I've been in that situation where I couldn't get hold of away tickets and it used to drive me up the wall. It used to drive me up the wall. But then equally, you know, I had um, I had a situation for the Seville game um, where we went out to Seville where I knew somebody who... Um, who had got a ticket off of a friend who a friend had bought it for them and they were they'd made the trip out to Seville and they were bricking it that they were going to get called in to go and produce ID in which case they wouldn't have been able to collect the ticket and the issue with that is there's a lot of good fans that want to go that can't go because of the way that the away ticketing works but then when they get an opportunity through somebody else can have that taken away from them by this idea of um, you know, the tickets, you know, being checked first, but then equally, you know, he's a, he's a great person and he was never going to go and cause any trouble and he was only going to pay face value and he was going to go and enjoy it and get behind the team and support the team. Equally, there are a lot of people out there that would, or there are a lot of people that would go out there that would cause trouble, you know, would be supporting touting and all the rest of it. And so again, like what's the solution? What's the answer? The truth is, I don't really know. I think we can talk a lot about what the club can do in terms of the atmosphere, but we can't really control that. We can't really influence that too much. Um, We can say our piece, we can have our voices heard, but I think ultimately the main responsibility for the atmosphere is on us. And I think a lot of the reason why it's been a bit flat at times this year has been because that level of expectation now exists. And when that level of expectation is there, unless you're winning the game, you are going to be frustrated and disappointed because you've set your bar so high. Whereas if you're not really expecting it and you go a goal down, you come across with a completely different vibe. There's a completely different energy. Um, You know, there is a buzz, there is a support, there is an unconditional support because you appreciate that you're in the mix because your team are punching above the weight. So generally your mood around the football. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Club is a happier one. 
And I think we've got to do more as fans. You know, I really, really do. I feel like a lot of us have, have gone into the campaign thinking, well, if we don't win the league, it's not good enough. And as a result of that, whenever we're not winning, we're not playing at our best. There's a there's a frustration rather than a, you know what, I'll get behind the boys and I'll try and do my bit to lift them. And if we can lift them as a collective, then, you know, it gives them that extra bit of energy. And it's why last season we scored so many late goals. We, you know, had so many comebacks, so many amazing, memorable moments. Now, listen, last season didn't end the way we wanted it to. But once the dust settled and, and I look back on it, it is one of the most memorable seasons for me as a fan um, because some of the moments that we experienced along the way were, were superb and, and were moments that will stick with me forever. So I think that's really, um, really, really important. And I think that's a big part of maybe why the atmosphere isn't the same. The level of expectations changed and I think people's attitude towards the team has changed as a result of that. And when that happens... Um, you know, your reaction to certain things, your reaction to adversity, for example, will be a very, very different one. But yeah, um, this idea of of the drums and all of that stuff, I think it helps. I think that culturally, England is a very interesting place when it comes to football. You go anywhere in Europe, you'll find ultras with drums. But when drums come out in the Premier League, everybody goes, oh, what is this? What are we trying to do here? We don't have ultras, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you this. I'm very, very lucky, especially over the last couple of years, to have travelled to a lot of different places on the continent to watch games of football. And the atmosphere in England, generally speaking, doesn't even come close to some of the atmospheres that I've experienced in Europe. And guess what they had that, that English football generally doesn't? Drums, flares, um, ultra sections, all the rest of it. So to turn your nose up at that kind of stuff and then moan about the atmosphere is weird to me. I don't think those things should be the be all and end all when it comes to the atmosphere. I think you have a responsibility as fans and, and myself included to do that, to do our bit more and to do it better. But it certainly helps when you have that synchronicity, when you have that um you know that that sort of collective organization that provides the base of your atmosphere so listen i would like to see more of that obviously um i would like to see the club support that um i think that it shouldn't be one group of people necessarily that um hold all the cards in this because then you create ultra situations like you have in other countries where ultras are starting to dictate what the club do this is not a dig at the ashburton army by the way i think they've done a great job of improving the atmosphere but i think the club should take it upon themselves to try and aid this um without it being something that they pass responsibility over for to a specific group if that makes sense but anyway um i thought that the atmosphere last season was superb I don't think it's been bad this season, but it hasn't been at the same level. And I think that's noticeable. And the more the season goes on, I think people are realising that, understanding that. Um, and uh, and I think the more people are starting to think about what we can do to try and get it back to, to what it was and, and what it should be. OK, we're going to take another short pause. And when we come back, we'll do your questions from the live chat. So start getting them in. Remember, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand new as well. It really, really does help. Okay, 
Um, let's do it. Let's take that short pause and uh, and into your questions we go. Welcome back to the pod. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Let's get some of your questions then. This was a question that was put to me yesterday uh, by Tom, who's back in the chat today and has re, um, re-put the question to me because uh, I said yesterday that I didn't really have too much time to think about it. And as a result of that, I, I didn't want to give uh, a slapdash answer. I'd be lying if I said that I sat there all night thinking about it, Tom. Um, but um, I have had some time to think about it. And I think there's a there's a few clubs in Italy that, to me, I'd be interested in kind of trying to partner up with. I think of the, the obvious one would be Milan, because I think over the years they've they've produced some good players through their system. From what I read and from what I'm told, Fiorentina are another side that produce um, high-quality young players. The problem is that a lot of these clubs are in a position now where they have to sell these players on really early. Um, but those are the two that kind of come to mind when it comes to um, to Serie A. There was a time where I'd have said Roma, um, maybe going back seven, eight years. I'm not sure that that's the case anymore. Um, Jose Mourinho has given a fair few of them a go over the course of this season so far, but more so because he's had to because of injuries. He's obviously left the club now. You know what? I'm going to put Roma in there as well. Um, I think that going back seven or eight years, they certainly had a much better rate of success in terms of bringing players all the way through and into the first team. But I think Roma is one of the ones that I've always had in the back of my head as one of the best feeders, academies, producers of players um, in Italy. So I'll put those three in. Milan, Roma and Fiorentina would be uh, my three there. Okay, uh, let's see what else uh, we've got. Um, Fuad said, uh, when is Thomas Partey ready? Now that Garner are out of the AFCON, we don't have to hide him any longer. Yeah, did you see those videos of uh, of the Ghanaian journalists as the Ghanaian team were trying to leave the stadium last night? They were not happy, were they? Um, understandably, look, they got a lot of good players. It's, it's, it's a surprise that they didn't get through, um, particularly given the, the Egyptian result as well. Uh, Fuad also says, um, with Emil Smith-Rowe, aside from staying fit, if he needs a lot of improving, um, what does OOP, sorry, mean? Sorry, mate. Um, is that out of possession? I think he says, aside from staying fit, he needs to improve a lot out of possession if he wants to be starting, in my opinion, consistently in that left centre mid position. Yeah, I agree with that, mate. I agree with that. One of the things I've said that has been maybe problematic for Arsenal this season, and we've brought it up quite a bit, is the the idea of going into last summer and changing the balance that we have in midfield. Now, I've talked about it before. I think that in, in terms of his school of thought, in terms of what he was thinking, Arteta looked at it and went, well, our left eight, because we're so dominant, is getting loads of the ball, is getting into loads of creative positions, advanced positions. And so if I put someone in there who's naturally more of an attacker, that should bring me a higher reward. But the downside to that is that defensively, we are weaker on our left side as a result and as a consequence of that. And, you know, all the things that people say about Kai Havertz and his defending would also be relevant, if not more relevant, to Emil Smith-Rowe. And I'll tell you why. Because Kai Havertz does have that big old frame that he can use. He does have that stature 
he does have um, a presence that Emil Smith-Rowe could never have because physically he's just not built like that. So if you're worried about it with Havertz, how can you not be worried about it with Emil Smith-Rowe? Now, people will argue that on the ball, Emil Smith-Rowe could give you more. And I don't even massively disagree with that. I think Emil Smith-Rowe, when he was at his best, was a real talent. There was a point, as I've said to you many times on this pod before, where I looked at him and thought he had a much higher ceiling than Bukayo Saka. And I still think he's as talented as Bukayo Saka, but obviously his body's let him down. Um, he's not been able to stay fit enough. He's not as strong as Bukayo Saka physically. He's not as robust as Bukayo Saka physically. And that has seen him fall behind a little bit. But I agree with you. He's going to have to improve out of possession in order to um, nail down that role and make it his own. And it's a problem that we have right now, left eight, because you think about all the options that we have, you know, take Declan Rice out of the equation for a minute because he's been required to play as a six. But when Partey comes back in and you can use Rice there, that aids your your issue of, of balance. But at this moment in time, it's kind of like, well, and, and I also think, sorry, that has a knock-on effect on Martin Odegaard and what he's able to do as well. But at this moment in time, you think about what we've had available. And, you know, I know he's been out for a little bit, but Fabio Vieira, same problem. Pretty creative in possession, can impact games in the final third. But physically isn't particularly strong and out of possession probably doesn't give you what you need. Emil Smith-Rowe, you could level a lot of the same criticisms at him, although I think he's stronger than Fabio Vieira. And Kai Havertz, you would say, is maybe too attack-minded to play in that role. So... It is a problem position for us, in my opinion. I know that Mikel Arteta's looked at it, though, and gone, well, I'm I'm trying to change the profile or the role of the left eight in this team. And that's why he's gone with what he's gone with. But I'm not sure. Uh, Tom says, on the one hand, more tickets for the Ashburton Army would be good for the atmosphere. But on the other hand, my red membership can't get me a single season ticket, uh, a single ticket, sorry, all season long. So why them above us? You make a really valid point. You do. And that's what I was saying a little bit earlier on about this idea of, you know, whatever you do, somebody is going to be sold short. So if you give more tickets to the Ashburton Army, then everybody will be talking about how much the atmosphere is better and all the rest of it. And that will help in that way. But then you get loyal supporters like yourself who are paying a membership and aren't able to access tickets as a result, not directly as a result of that, but partly because of that and your situation will be impacted by them having a greater allocation so do you see what i mean about how you can't solve this without leaving someone out without upsetting someone and that's why when people slate the club for this i kind of look at it and i go okay so what is the answer what is the solution it's like when people say sack Mikel arteta well who's the person that you bring in to fix it because it's very easy to pull something apart without actually producing um an alternative or a solution uh O'Melly says uh is it against the league's rules not to fire up the crowd like the announcers or DJs do in Italy not that I'm aware of um not that I'm aware of but again it comes back to that point I made earlier about fan culture in this country and how we look at a lot of things and we go no well we don't do that in England um you know it's it, I think football fan culture is different in various parts of the world um, for example, I think it's different in South America to what it is in Europe. 
But I think there are good elements that we should be trying to take from these places and implement in here. And we don't because we're quite well, English football is where it all began and we're this epicenter of the football world and all the rest of it. Um, but I don't know if there being a rule uh, on that. Uh, Afsar says, Harry, should the club segregate the singing section with drums and allow a standing zone too? That way the atmosphere will improve. They should. Um, they, they, they should for me. Um, have a standing section officially a standing section right now you you look at sort of blocks five and six maybe even seven as well at the emirates stadium and they're all standing anyway um, but they're doing it with seats um behind them just folded up um tucked away so i do think that that should be introduced properly and i think um yeah if you created those sections and you had more than one of them in different parts of the stadium that will go some way in, in helping the atmosphere right across the ground Matt Tomo uh, says, could you provide any contact text into the history of why drums, etc., I looked down upon in England? Are there any specific reasons? I don't think so, mate. I just think it's a it's a kind of stubbornness. It's a kind of, you know, this is the way we do it and we're never going to change it. And, you know, we, I, there was loads of people that used to jump online last year when the atmosphere was buzzing and go, why do we need a drum to create an atmosphere? Well, some of the best atmospheres in world football are built around rhythmic drumming and are built around having that in place atmospheres that far exceed any atmosphere that you'd have experienced at the Emirates Stadium, that's for sure. Um, I went to Lons in the Champions League earlier this season. Unbelievable atmosphere. One of the best I've ever experienced. I went to Porto. Unbelievable atmosphere. Um, I've been to, to Greek games where ultras, drums, flares, all of that stuff has been a massive part of uh, the match day experience. And it's it's made a positive impact on the atmosphere. So, yeah. Uh, Ogutchukwu says, uh, would Victor Osimhen be good for Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a top, top player. Um, a lot of money, of course. It's going to cost a lot of money to get him out of Napoli. But, yeah, I think he's a top, top player. And I'd, I'd love to see him at the club. We've talked about it quite a bit over the last few months. Uh, we talked about the fact that I would prefer to see Arsenal not just settle for a second or third choice when it comes to the centre-forward position and go big on the one that they want, whether that be Victor Osimhen or somebody else come the summer. Matt also asks, do you see Declan Rice's future long-term as a six or an eight? I think probably more as an eight, to be honest. Um, I, I think he's... The reason Declan Rice is so good is that he can play any of those roles and he plays them both brilliantly. But I like the idea of Declan Rice being sort of taken off the the leash a little bit and, and given a little bit more freedom, a little bit more license to roam. And the reason I don't mind that happening with him is because I know he's got the presence of mind to tuck into defensive positions when we need him to. He's got that mobility and the fitness to get up and down the pitch. So, for example, it's why right now where we're without Thomas Partey, I think there are a lot of games where we're better off with Jorginho and Rice than we are with Rice and Havertz, because I think that it just gives you a little bit more balance and a little bit more control in the middle of the park. I think if I had one criticism of Declan Rice, it would be that I don't think he is a, a great passer through the lines. I, and it's not people say, well, he plays loads of forward passes. It's not that. It's about it's about when you receive the ball and you're being pressed. It's about identifying those avenues through which you can thread the ball into someone in a more progressive position than yourself and get your team up the pitch quickly, but also pick out passes that 
are not just forward moving, but also taking three or four players of the opposition side out of the game. I think Jorginho is better than Declan Rice at doing that. Now, Declan Rice has lots of other strings to his bow and all round is obviously a better player than Jorginho. But I just think that Jorginho has that in his weaponry. Maybe Declan Rice doesn't. And I also think a lot of the reason why we've not been as effective going forward this season as we were last season was because of the time or is because of the time it seems to take us to move the ball between the lines. When Jorginho plays, that instantly gets better. And that's a really important thing in this team. Thomas Partey is the best in the business at it um, in terms of the all-round uh, game, you know, being able to do that, but also bring you the defensive stuff that you need. And maybe Jorginho doesn't have the defensive side nailed down, which is the problem with him. But I think Rice in the six, uh, Rice in the eight and Partey as the six would be my first choice Arsenal midfield right now. So I have to say uh, that it should be, um, it should be, uh, the eight position for me moving forward. Uh, Joe says, saw you in Liverpool Street Station on Friday. Why don't you come say hello, man? He says, was going to say hello, but it looks like you were sorting out a transfer deal with Eddie and Arteta on the phone. Awesome and done deal in the summer. <laughs> Do you know what? If if it was, um, I don't know what time of day it would have been, but if you saw me in the afternoon, I was pretty chilled and relaxed, but in the evening when I was coming home, I was furious. All the trains were were up the spout. I was trying to get home uh, for my son's birthday as well. And I was just not in a good mood. But come and say hello next time. <laughs> come and say hello. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Mohammed says, do we um, admit that spending $100 million on Vieira and Havertz failed massively instead of signing top talents like Xavi Simmons? and Florian Wirtz, for example, thoughts. I think it's fair to say that the Fabio Vieira signing hasn't worked out yet. I don't think it's fair to say that the Kai Havertz signing has been a failure. I think it's fair to say that we probably overpaid for him, though. So I don't want to sit here and say Havertz was, is definitely a failure. I don't even want to say that about Fabio Vieira, and he's had much longer. But... I, where I, I disagree slightly, Mohammed, is that when you say like Xavi Simmons or Florian Verts, they obviously look like really promising young talents, but so did Fabio Vieira before we signed him. Like so did Sambi Lakonga before we signed him. A lot of the time, players that thrive in other environments can come into your environment and hit a bit of a brick wall and struggle because it goes back to what we were saying about Jakob Kivior earlier, that you need the kind of the circumstances around you to be uh, complementary as well. So I, I don't want to sit there and, and pick out players and say, you're a failure, you're a failure and all the rest of it. Um, that I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go down that route um, at this stage. Um, Alistair says atmospheres went down um, for most clubs when they moved to new stadiums. Yeah. I said this to a lot of my Tottenham supporting mates before they moved to the new ground. None of them would have it. And now they're all saying, yeah, you know what? You were right. Because the the more tickets you're able to sell, the more likely you are to have those people that aren't quite as engaged. Do you see what I mean? So the more likely you are to have more corporate people that maybe don't even support the club that they're going to watch, the more likely you are to have more tourists who, I'm not, when I say tourists, I don't mean 
fans of that club from abroad. They're not tourists. They're fans of the football club that live overseas. When I say tourists, I'm talking about people that come to London for a de- uh, for a few days and go, oh, I'll go and check out a football match, but have no interest in the sport whatsoever. That's what a tourist is, not, not an Arsenal fan from overseas. That's that's a problem that you get when you have a bigger stadium. The crowd becomes less hardcore, less concentrated, if that makes sense, in terms of those that really want to be there, that you also that you then end up with a load that maybe don't generally want to be there or or are just there for the day out and for the experience. And and that is a very different thing. Can I take one more from Afsar who says uh, Harry was probably going to them expensive restaurants at Liverpool Street. I promise you I wasn't. Um, <laughs> uh, but he also asked if I've ever been to Highbury Stadium. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. Um, I didn't used to get to go to Highbury as often as I go to the Emirates. Um, we only had access to season tickets at Highbury, I would say, for the last season that we were there. Before that, it was it was a little bit hit and miss. We used to go, um, I would probably say maybe eight to ten times a season. Um, just like my dad would be able to get tickets through people he knew and um, and sort of uh, an, an uncle of mine was uh, was uh, working with McDonald's and the program that they were doing at that time um, in partnership with Arsenal, where they were providing tickets to like schools and football clubs and stuff in the local area. And we got to go a few times through that as well. So yeah, I experienced Highbury many times. My my first ever Arsenal game was at Highbury. Um, and it was a game against Borussia Mönchengladbach. I'll always remember that. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got amazing memories of Highbury. Saw some cracking games there. Um, but I wasn't at every single game like I am at Emirates now. Um, that's the benefit of having a bigger stadium, right? It's easier to get tickets. Um, so many people that couldn't get hold of a season ticket for love nor money prior to the move ended up getting one um, when we moved. And, and I fall into that category. Um, I got mine as soon as we moved to the Emirates Stadium and I've never let it go ever since. <laughs> um, but yeah, amazing place, amazing stadium. Right. I am going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. I really, really do appreciate it. I will see you all uh, very, very soon with more. Uh, We're probably going to put out a segment from this episode as a video um, a little bit later on this afternoon. Um, When that pops up on your feed, please do me a favor, go into it, give it a like, leave it a comment and all the rest of it. It really, really does help. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another full-length episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Until then, take care of yourselves. All the best. Goodbye. (laughs) 